Welcome to Collaboration RA. This podcast is dedicated to our profession, allowing us to share who we are, what we bring to the field of radiology, and how we care for the patients we serve. We look forward to hearing from you. Find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. We appreciate you listening, and we're glad you're here. Now let's collaborate. Welcome to this episode of Collaboration RA. I'm host Marceline Forbus, and I've got Reese Bergoon. Hello. So on this episode, we wanted to get together with somebody who is really passionate about the profession and into the educational aspects. If people out there are anything like me, which I'm sure there are some, I look at education and I kind of have to have something defined for me. I mean, Reese, you work with me. I'm very much lay out what I need to do. Sometimes putting those steps together, those puzzle pieces together, either discourage me or I can't see the end picture. I was thinking the other night in bed about education and how certain educations can go into different avenues. And actually today I met with one of the local schools here in the Texas area. And one of the big questions everybody was asking me is, what does advancing your education do and what does it serve for you? So we thought it would be really interesting to have Kristen come back and join us. I'm so excited to be here. I'm super excited. So to our listeners, I'm sure you may recognize this voice. She's been on a number, a myriad of radiology-based podcasts. The previous episode that she joined us on was titled, We Exist. And you can go back and check out that 50-minute episode. <laughs> it was a long one, but it was well worth it. You can also check her out on the, on the Catheter Jockeys podcast as well. She's been on there a number of times. Kristen, thank you again for joining us. I'm really happy to be back. You know, I'm just excited. I think you know a lot of the educational aspects and ways to advance our degrees. You're currently advancing yours. So I'm just going to remind everybody as to who you are real quick. Kristen started out her career in radiology when she graduated from the x-ray program in 2011. She worked for about seven years in radiology and then in education and is currently actually in school earning a higher education by pursuing her PhD in health sciences at Liberty University. Kristen is an assistant professor at Cal Baptist in the BSRS program. And you guys probably recognize her from various podcasts as well as social media accounts where she's very vocal about education and teaching within our industry. Today, like I said in the intro, she's going to share with us some various avenues that higher education can offer you to excel in your career or possibly different avenues that you didn't know existed for you. I think one of the most interesting things that people forget is you have x-ray, you have MRI, you have CT, you have mammo, you have nuclear medicine, you have radiation therapy dosimetry. You also now have the nuclear medicine advanced associate. You also have advancement for the radiation therapist. You have the radiologist assistant role. We also learned you can be a legislator. So there are so many avenues that we can go into. And so we're just going to highlight education and how you get into those avenues. It's kind of interesting. The BSRS degree, when we kind of made this alternate pathway or this advanced pathway is actually created because we had such a shortage of qualified educators. In academia, your piece of paper degree is everything. You really don't even get your foot in the door until you have it. So they made the BSRS degree. And actually in the curriculum, there is a teaching component. 
The main purpose of it is to prepare future educators for radiologic technology. And now it's kind of interesting. One of the most useful things I've ever used in my career is the jobs report from ASRT. They put it out each year. I pulled the 2022 data, but 49.7% of technologists have an associates or better. So I don't know if you remember from my last episode, but one of my big things is talking about how to advance the profession and how we do that. So we're almost at that 50% that have a degree or better, which is getting us so much closer to being considered professionals. And it's a really good time for it. So it's great that we're talking about it. This actually came up a lot at the host of delegates meeting that I just attended. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into what education does for us. Can you talk about the ASRT meeting? This was kind of nice. This was my last year not as a delegate. So I still just got to attend and kind of watch from the back row and not having to participate in everything. So some of the main things that we talked about were the push for a bachelor's minimum. So it wasn't that long ago that we actually got the associate's minimum. It used to be that you could go to a certificate program, not of a degree, and then take your boards. Now you can still go to a certificate program, but you have to have an associate's in anything to be able to take your boards. Most of our programs now are associate's. They're pushing for a bachelor's minimum. Obviously, this is five or 10 years down the road, but the profession as a whole wants to make a bachelor's minimum because that would make us automatically professionals. Even the people that don't necessarily get a bachelor's, they'll be considered professionals. So that was one of the big highlights. I actually sat in the RA chapter this year, which I haven't done before. That one was really good too. And actually one of the biggest takeaways was that many students showed up to that one. The biggest takeaways is that they did not know RA existed and they did not know it was a pathway. And I was very ignorant about how practice in California. Liz and Leo were able to educate me on how I was ignorant in that area. So I'm really excited. I invited Leo to speak at our CSRT conference this year to talk about how to be at RA in California because, listen, we have misconceptions. So I'm really excited about that. And then the last thing, the kind of big overall theme was adopting a position statement that would kind of counteract some of the political things that are happening in public health right now. So the limiting of patient rights or human rights to quality health care for all. There's quite a few states that are enacting laws against certain patients based on personal beliefs. I think this is my fourth one since 2011, and this was definitely the most impassioned one I've ever been to. We did some great work, and we also have a lot of work to do. All right. So, Kristen, I know you mentioned like there's going to be a shift as far as moving everything to a BSRS program. I was of the timeline of an individual who I went to the program and I came out with an associate's. I actually had to reapply to a bachelor's program. And I completed that within about two years of extra school. And then after that, I again reapplied to a master's program. And I did that in another two years. So, what you're saying is as of right now, are there any certificate-only programs left? They're there, but they're required to have a matriculation agreement with an associate's degree at Leg Community College. So we have a program in our area that's a certificate program. There were not part of the hospital-based program, and you could get an associate's. Now it's just a requirement that all students take those classes. Okay, so it's, are, it's built into the curriculum. It's built in, and it's no longer kind of elective. It's required. If you happen to go to a certificate program, you have to at least have an associate's in anything. So in order to take your boards, you have to have an associate's, but it doesn't necessarily close those certificate programs. It just kind of changes them. Now, in this present day, are there current radiography programs that are offering BSRS? 
So I actually went to a BSRS program. We have three BSRS programs in California. And when I went there, it was actually a BSRT. So a Bachelor's of Science in Radiologic Technology. And then right before I graduated, it switched to radiologic sciences. It is just a little bit more broad and gives you a little bit better footing to work outside of being a technologist. I graduated in 2011. It was the only BSRS program, this side of the Mississippi or west of the Mississippi. So now we have more of them because it's a bachelor's level. Obviously, you have extra classes like the one I went to at Cal State Northridge. They actually have extra modalities too. So there was a benefit in that. I got training in CTMRI, interventional cath lab mammography, and then to be like a state inspector. And so if, like you said, within the next five to 10 years, if we see this shift again from a certificate to an associate's level and then up to the bachelor's programs, how does that work for us as far as being recognized as a professional? What does that mean? Like, why are we viewed as a professional now? Yeah, so it's really interesting. There are two huge organizations that kind of define what a professional is And the first one is the Bureau of Labor or the Labor Board. The other one is the Immigration Services. So they define a professional as anybody that has a bachelor's or higher education. And their criteria is very broad that way so that people from other countries can come here and have equivalent kind of employment as they would have had in their country. The issue with us not being called professionals and recognized as professionals is because we have an associate's minimum. So some of the things that we could do to elevate the profession and get closer to considered professionals is have more than 50% of technologists have a bachelor's or higher. So if only 50% of us, 357,000 technologists were to have a bachelor's or higher in anything, we would automatically be considered for professional status. And that's what nurses did. So nurses also have an associate's minimum. But because of things like magnet hospitals that require all of their nurses to have a BSN or better there is more incentives for nurses to continue their education. If we were to move to a bachelor's minimum, that would make us more likely to be considered professionals. However, we're not ready for that. We just got the associate's minimum. There are other things that we could do to help us be considered professionals, and one of them is to engage regularly in peer review research. So if we could publish as much as nurses do, then we could be considered professionals. So there's multiple pathways. The bachelor's is really important, but it's not the only one. I think bachelor's makes it a little bit easier because statistically, we're going to be outnumbered by nursing, obviously. Exactly. Like we can do research, but the sample sizes are really small and those studies are really expensive to conduct. So we just don't have the numbers that nurses or doctors do. So I know probably one of the questions that's going to be on everybody's mind, if we get recognized federally as a professional, does that come with pay raises or what is the benefit for those of us who maybe don't want to advance our degree, but want to be recognized as professional, what is the benefit in that? The benefit, it could mean a pay raise. I mean, nurses definitely make more money than us and we have pretty equivalent workloads. Theirs are more paperwork based and we are more kind of applications based, but pretty equivalent. The thing that it gives us really is more cloud in politics and more cloud in education. If we were going to go lobby on Capitol Hill and try to get something passed, If we could go in as a professional, not just a group of people that act professional, but a professionally recognized professional group, then we would get to talk to senators and representatives easier. We would be able to have more seats at the table. So we would be able to sit on different boards without necessarily having to have a nurse speak for us or a doctor speak for us. There's a ton of boards right now that technologists do not sit on there yet. Those boards make decisions for and about technologists. 
And the job that we do, that's a big part of it, is just getting a seat at more tables and having the reputation that kind of comes with the label professional. And that was one of the things I brought up to the students that I visited with today. We talked about Tennessee and we talked about the state of Texas and how state of Texas, the state oversees us. And I said, yes, just like they do in Tennessee right now. What they revoked is having anybody with radiology training oversee what radiology actually does. Again, the seat at the table. Yeah, it's sad that there's so many people that are willing to speak for us, but not with us, which is silly because we're the third largest medical profession. We still have all these other people speaking for us and not being considered professionals is part of that. Okay, so right now, am I not considered a professional? If you are talking as a technologist, no, you're not. I'm not considered a professional as a technologist. Okay, that stings. In the trauma room, it's the doctor, it's the nurse, the respiratory therapist, and x-ray. It's like we're in some of the most dire situations in healthcare, and yet we're still othered. As we look at professional growth and we look at education and looking at our career paths, there's so many different ways that you have already kind of explained. Let's start from the very basic, very beginning. When people are looking to enter x-ray school, you know, for me right now, looking back, I went through a certificate program. When I did that, I said, I don't need a further education. I'm done. I'm fine with just what I have. And then I later learned, well, now I have to further my education. <laughs> so as students are looking at doing the uh, associates versus a bachelor's level program, what is some advice that you would give them in looking at that? Pretty much the most important thing that you can look at when you choose a program is their national exam pass rate. So look at that RT first time pass rate, because that is the ultimate indicator if you are going to come out of that program and be able to pay those student loans. And that also has to be transparent in any accredited program. We have to have it posted not only on our website, but it also gets posted on our creditors website. The second thing is length of program versus output. Typically, most associates programs are two years after all your prerequisites, which take a year or two to complete. So in the end, you're going to spend three to four years in school. Most bachelor's programs are also two years once you finish your prerequisites. But what they do is they add an additional layer of upper division, general education, and typically those are like some type of statistics research methods, some types of pathophysiology slash epidemiology, and then some type of like leadership or information management. Those additional courses, what they do is they make you broader. So instead of learning just radiologic technology, you also get to learn other skills that will help you outside of being a technologist. And then the third thing I say is consider cost. If it's not realistic for you, do not come out of school with $145,000 in student loans because you're not going to be able to afford those on a technologist's salary. And you're only going to come out with an associate. A lot of those kind of private programs that are more expensive and don't necessarily have advanced degrees. Then is it realistic for you to be able to live the life that you want alive? And some people require a little bit more money and some people don't require that much money. Some people don't have student loans, but most of us do. So at RT pass rate, input versus output, how much time am I going to have to put in for the degree I'm getting? And then is this realistic cost wise? One thing, humor me for two seconds. Take your microphone, rotate it 180 degrees. Is this better? Oh yeah, it's fine. You're good. We have AI. It can actually match that. And we'll see if I can get it to work. AI is taking our jobs. AI was a big theme this year, too, oh. at ASRT. Okay. Now they so, talked about uh, remote scanning and chat GPT. I, I want to talk about that. 
How does that look for you as an educator when it comes mm-hmm. to Jack GPT? And we need to write papers on subjects. You can just pop in and do a little word search to see how much you plagiarized and how much you cited. Or is this actually original content? What's your take on that? And how do you work around that? So I stood up at the education chapter meeting and talked about that because they actually asked that question of the audience. What does this impact mean for you guys? So there are a couple of people brought up tools like Turnitin, Canvas. They have tools that are now able to kind of recognize AI generated papers. The thing that I have done is I just got rid of papers. You don't need to write a paper for me to evaluate you on a skill. I have very few papers that my students write, and most of them are personal self-reflections. I have them do faculty poster presentations-ish. Now, I know the university has to evaluate you for it. I am trying to embrace it because it ain't going anywhere. So if I think that I'm just going to put my heels in and say, no, 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 and I'm just going to reprimand students when they use it. My husband technically works for an AI company right now. He uses it all the time to make himself more efficient. And recently I got hired for a, um, like a private company webinar thing. And they said, you can't use any copyrighted images on your PowerPoints. And I said, there goes my whole forensics lecture. So my husband and I used ChatGPT. We wrote in a prompt and said, hey, I want to see a body bag on a CT table with an ECMO contrast injector next to it wrapped in a black trash bag. And it generated an image for me. And so now I have a visual. I don't have like my case study images, but at least I have a visual to be able to present to an audience and keep them engaged. I use it to help me write test questions. I have it help me do an outline for curriculum. And then obviously I have to go back and, and edit it and fix it, but it really cleans up my timeline. So I'll just put in all of my kind of PowerPoint information or my syllabus information for the semester and it'll make me a review outline. I think it's better to embrace it and figure out how to manage it responsibly. Like students use it, professionals use it. Grammarly is an AI tool. I use it in everything that I do and it makes me so much more efficient. Yeah, I'm a pretty innovative teacher. I like to tweak something every single semester. I change things all the time. I don't, I try not to get into too much of a hole. I'm trying to figure out how to use it in all different types of ways. And, you know, radiologists have been using it for two decades at least. It's been in the literature, computer-aided detection in breast imaging for at least two decades. And that's in the literature. It's very good at quantitative information, but it can't give us such good qualitative information. So what it does, it's if you have a, a mammogram image, it scans the image for high densities. So those are just little quantitative numbers. They can kind of place a number on each shade of gray, black, or white. It draws the radiologist's eyes to that area. Now, that one area is not going to tell you the whole picture of that entire breast image. It's just going to tell you information about that area. So the way I understand it, like five years ago, every conference, every topic was AI and how it's going to replace us. It's not going to because it can never do the qualitative. It can't look at the entire chest x-ray and say, is it atelectasis or is it bronchiectasis or is it pleural effusion? It can just say there's a high density in this area. You might want to look at that. That's kind of how I try to see it in my practice is what tedious, silly little task I remove by using this tool. I think if you embrace it, like what you were saying, and you learn how to utilize it, it's not going to replace a technologist. I mean, not going to put the board behind the patient. It's not going to perform the procedure for the radiologist. It's not meant to replace anybody. I think it's meant to enhance the roles, make us all more efficient. You know, I think the more you try to fight it, 
the harder it's going to be for you in the long run. Yeah. And then you're just behind the curve. Yeah. I know there's a lot of radiologists who are worried about it as far as like AI systems are going to be generating full reports on images that a human eye hasn't looked at. I was like, that's not the case. It'll pop up on your list saying, hey, this stat CT head concerning for stroke has the positive finding. And exactly. It makes a hard stop for the radiologist to be like, oh, hey, boom, done. Looks at the images, looks at the, the report that's been generated. He may tweak a few things here or there and hit the go button on it. It's not going to take away the job over the radiologist. It's going to enhance the radiologist and make them faster. And that's what all the studies show. It increases the efficiency and the effectiveness of a radiologist. I did want to mention it because there's a lot of people talking about it, obviously. For me, my biggest struggle with education and why I did so good in the RA program and why I did so good in the RT program is they lay your classes out for you. Show up at this time, this classroom. The structure. You crave structure. I do. I did not know that until just now. Very odd. (laughs) Therapy session. So so what I was going to ask is, what about people who may be in the same mindset as me? You have to basically hold their hand and make them show up to class. I have a perfect answer for you. And this came up at the House of Delegates meeting too. There are roadmaps now. The ASRT has put out roadmaps that helps define exactly what you need to do, when is the best time to do it, and how to do it. They kind of laid it out in like a one-page infographic at kind of the general public level of how do you do that. There's also a leadership roadmap. They talked a lot about roadmaps in every single one of the chapter meetings. I heard the word roadmap, I think. So that really helps it. But I would say Truly, the thing that made me advance my education is that I could either spend two years in associate's program or two and a half years and get a bachelor's. It's like, easy, I'll just go get the bachelor's. It's fine. The prices were comparable because they were both public places. The other thing is I had faculty who, I mean, they were all there. Like all my teachers were at the House of Delegates with me. I had faculty that just modeled it really well and showed us the benefit of having a bachelor's And then being in education, I saw what my colleagues with master's or higher were able to do as far as getting grants, writing grants, doing research, things that I wanted to do. Not everybody's going to want to do that, but I'm a big old nerd and I love research. When you're in a healthcare setting as a technologist, I actually did negotiate $1 an hour for having a bachelor's at a private, small, for-profit trauma center. That's not common, but some of our unions, as they get stronger, they're not nearly as strong as a nursing union, but as they get stronger, they're putting in stipulations for education as a merit-based system. So some places are paying a little bit more. The other thing is if you ever want to go into management, it used to be that you had to have a bachelor's. And that's kind of how we set aside technologist leaders from the technologists. Now, most of those hospitals, they want a master's or doctorate level. So if they're requiring it of nurses, we're right behind them. Many of them require a master's level. The kind of motivation is there. The figuring out how to do it, all of that can be facilitated much more easily for you if you have really great mentors. So if you reach out to somebody, if you meet somebody at a conference, the next day, add them on LinkedIn send them a quick message, say, it was so great to meet you. And most of the relationships that 
I've built that have helped me in my career have come from just conferences, just going and showing up and being one of those nerds in the room. There are now tools that make it easier for people that kind of need the hand-holding side. There are tools through the ASRT that help technologists kind of figure out what that path looks like. And I mean, is it even realistic, right? Because it's not realistic for everybody. It's not realistic if it's not going to advance your actual career. I remember going straight through. I did the rad tech program, you know, graduated from that with an associate's, jumped straight in and did uh, my bachelor's. And that took me two years. It was an online program, which is cool. I could work while I was going through it. I was paying my tuition as I went. And then once I finished my bachelor's, I just reapplied, jumped straight back into it for the master's program. And I was still able to work. It was a hybrid program at that time. So most of it was online. I did have to go into the university campus twice a semester for six semesters. And I was still able to pay my way through and didn't have to take any loans. So it, it was definitely doable. And that's not the case for everyone. I get it. We all have lives to live. So this ASRT pathway, it's, it's definitely a great starting point for those who may be considering to pursue advanced education. I would almost say that these aren't necessarily you have to do it this way. There is more like a guideline is what you're telling yeah. me, right? Okay. And you bring up a great point. You know, a lot of students right now are taking gap years. The longer you are out of school, the harder it is to get back in the swing of it. So if you have the opportunity to go continuously like you did, Reese, you're more likely to finish. Just statistically, you're more likely to finish. It took my, me seven years to go back for my master's. And in all truth, it's because my job made me. They're like, yeah, yeah you're just going to have to do that. Yeah. And I said, okay. My mom works in academics and she was essentially in the same boat. She actually got her PhD about five, six years ago. So she didn't have to because she's at the age of retirement. She was never going to benefit from having a PhD. It was more of a personal goal for her. I had been in the college setting for 10 years at this point. I did six years of undergrad. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I took yeah. a long way. I did four years yeah. to college I, just finding I, myself, man. I have three minors. It's great, you know. There you um, go. And once I finished my master's, all my buddies were like, so you'll be going PhD now? My wife, because I had gotten married in my master's program, but she definitely saw me through it. She saw me graduate the x-ray program. It's a great to have a nice support system along the way. Helped a lot. It is doable. And that's what I tell everybody. I'm still getting started. A lot of your hospitals will also offer tuition reimbursement. And then, of course, getting scholarships from the educational institutions. So there are ways that when you're financially strapped that you can find ways to work around it. Also, everything being online now, mm -hmm. that makes it so easy to work and go to school. I will say the core radiology program was harder than my master's or my PhD. Like you've really gotten the worst part of it out of the way when you finish your radiography program just because you don't have the clinical component. I mean, if you go to RA school, you have the clinical component, but it's made for working professionals. So even the master's degree is made for somebody who's already working in a field. It's more flexible. So I think that leads us into the next topic, which is just kind of breaking down each degree and what it allows you to do. So with an associate's degree and graduating with that, you know, what else can you do with the associates? You can go into multimodality. So you can do x-ray, mm -hmm. supervisory, multimodality. You can you teach. You can teach at community um, college level with an associate's mm -hmm. degree. Oh, so okay. the, the CC that I worked for, 
they wanted an associate's and six years of experience, or they wanted a bachelor's and two years of experience. You can be a sales rep, clinical application specialist, right? So you're not really sales, but you're the one that goes in and trains the staff how to use the new equipment. There's a lot of entrepreneurial type things that you can do. You work as a technologist. The things that really require a degree are if you want to be in management at a large facility, like a corporate hospital, you have to have a bachelor's and really a master's. But really, the sky's the limit. So even at some of the smaller institutions, they don't necessarily always require the bachelor's? No, it really depends. I mean, it also goes back to where you are on the ASRT communities. I see a lot of people post about, well, I live in a rural facility and we do everything different. In rural facilities, you're more mm-hmm. kind of stretched. And so you're more likely to get those roles. I know there's going to be a lot of listeners who are currently saying, guys, it's just a piece of paper. I noticed your wall behind you, your backdrop. It's lovely. They're not okay. all mine. So okay. they're my husband's. Okay, well. <laughs> It's still impressive. Nonetheless, I have a blank wall. It prompted me to reach into storage. I found my diploma. Fancy. You got (laughs) to hang that up somewhere. It's been in storage since I framed it about five years ago. I think it's about time I should do something with it. And you're right. It is just a piece of paper, but it is important to me and I am going to hang it up. It's important to our patients. Yeah. It's important to our legislators. It's important to those that look up to you, that see the work that you do on a daily basis. It is absolutely important. Absolutely. It's a piece of paper that if you folded it right, it can open any door. So it's like a key that opens doors for you. I wanted options to do other things. What the degree did is it allowed me to do those other things and still stay connected and still practice where I want to, but just kind of have more peripheral vision rather than just central vision. It depends on what your aspirations are. I feel that way. I want to do all the things everywhere. And if I don't have that piece of paper, I don't get into that door. I know you already hit on the opportunities you have with the associate's degree, and you kind of touched on the ones you have with bachelor's and master's. But I know you're currently working on your PhD. I'm not going to hit on the old stuff. We already covered that. Was it also a personal goal? Are you just going to be like ultra nerd and just do it for funsies? I just want people to call me doctor. I want the hat. The hat is the number one thing that I want. That is the cutest little hat I've ever seen in my life. And I want that. Second, I'm a nerd. I love to learn. And I gain a ton of self-esteem by being a student. So I'm very task-oriented. And if I can sit down and produce something, and at the end of it, I have a product at the end, that boosts my self-esteem and my confidence. So it actually helps my mental health to be able to be a student. Um, And then I want a seat at the table. So if I ever want to be a dean or a provost or any of those things, all of that comes with a doctorate. There are incentives in academia. As soon as you get a degree, you get paid more. No matter what, even though your job didn't change, you just get paid more because you got a degree. Now, it's not nearly enough to cover the student loans that I'm taking out to do it. However, I had kind of hit my ceiling at the level that I was at. And it was basically like, if you ever want to do this, you really need to go get your doctorate. It's a lot of factors. What all can you do with a PhD? PhD and doctorate are not always the same. So EDD, that's a doctorate of education. And that is an applications-based doctorate. 
same level, same privileges. However, it's focused on application rather than theory. A PhD is a doctor of philosophy. If you get a PhD, you are gaining the skills that you need to do original research like randomized control trials, anything kind of above a case study or secondary data. You know, if you want to create an instrument to measure courage, that all comes with the footing in a PhD program. It is made for researchers. Rosie is getting a DBA, a doctor of business administration. That, again, is an applications-based one. So that's why he's able to do the dissertation that he's doing, which is more of like a case study. They're focused on how can you achieve a higher level of this skill in your job. A doctor of philosophy or a PhD is focused on how can you create original literature to support the people that are doing the things. So for me, I want to do better research. I got a good footing because I went for my master's in public health, which is all research heavy. But like, I don't know how to create an instrument. I've never done qualitative research. That's what I want to do. And I want to be the one that says, hey, here's this theory that I've created. And I think it will work in practice for these reasons. And then I want to go send that out into the universe and have people go try it out. So I'm a theory person more than an applications person. Now there's many different doctoral level. They all have to do a dissertation. So that's the big culminating piece where you do have to do some research. You know, it can just be perceptions. So like Kevin Clark, he's a doctorate of education. He's an EDD and he does a lot of research on perceptions. And he'll be the first to tell you, I don't do qualitative research. It's not my thing. PhDs tend to do more qualitative research. Let's take a bunch of information that's very abstract. So a bunch of open-ended questions, and then let's kind of lump them into categories and then do some statistical analysis on those categories to see what that means. Whereas quantitative is let's just measure something. But if you want to do research that says this causes this, that takes like extensive PhD. Kevin taught me for two years. So, oh, yeah. Uh, he's the yeah. guru. Yeah, he's the, the man. I never had anyone in my radiology education and even in any of my education that really promoted additional education. I mean, whenever we went through so the you know, RPA program, they talk about it, you know, because we had to continue on to get our education. It was part of the program. You had to do it. So I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, wow. I think that as educators, and this is something I struggle with, as an educator, you should be the one trying the hardest, that wants to know all the things, that wants to be the best in the room, that wants to whatever, because you're preparing the next generation. So if you're kind of here and you don't really see outside of your zone, then all of your students are going to kind of see that as the top point. It's not just what you're here in my class for. Oh, I teach patient care. I'm going to teach you patient care and I'm not going to do anything else. To be an educator, you really kind of take a vow that everybody that comes out of your program is going to have your stamp on them. And I want to know that my stamp is worthy and that even if they don't remember it, don't take it with them or think I'm full of it, at least I know that I prepared them and kind of told them about it. So that was one of the themes in the RA chapter meeting is that so many of those students did not know that RA was even an option. And that's a failure on the educational framework to some degree. And then from a teacher side of it, because that got a little heated in there too, from a teacher side of it, there's 450 RAs in the country. But I learned a lot while I was there. I'm definitely going to be changing some things in my courses and doing better to educate 
technologists that that is a route. Educators make all the difference because I would not be who I am if it wasn't for the people that modeled professionalism and advancement so well that were teachers of mine. Yeah, and my education is 23 years old. So I don't know how many people were really getting PhDs 23 years ago or how many pathways there really were. Yeah. (laughs) I've even asked Dr. Kevin Clark to come on. He is so humble, that man. I know. I learned a, I learned an incredible amount from that guy. I was very fortunate. It's almost like every journal I pick up, his name's in it. He's publishing all the time, which is, which is what we need. All right, guys. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this installment of Collaboration RA. Thank you for sticking through with us and joining us on another weekly episode. Our subscriptions have picked up just in the last two weeks. We've been climbing a lot and that's great. Go listen to those other episodes because there's a lot of great material. We have always strived here at Collaboration RA to put forth valuable content. Kristen, thank you for joining us on yet another episode and adding to the collection. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. So you can go find us on our websites, www.collaborationra.com. We are most active on LinkedIn. Marceline, thank you for joining me. It's nice to get back behind the microphone again. It, it, was, it was also nice to be having some time off too. It was nice to take a break too and spend time with family and have that summer vacation. So, you know, I was really grateful for that. I really want to say thank you, Kristen, for coming on with us. I have loved the friendship that I have developed with you. <laughs> and sometimes my oddball off the wall texts or just whatever my brain comes up with. I really, really want to say thank you for coming on and doing this one and helping educate our listeners and me about some of the educational processes that are out there that people may not even know is open to them or may not be inspired enough to do it. That maybe this is that little push that drives them into saying, you know what, I can further my education too. So thank you. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Collaboration RA. Remember to find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. There you'll find our social media accounts. Give us a like and give us a share. We look forward to your support and thank you for tuning in. Mm -hmm.